You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Okay, so we've talked about unexpected people really in all this because uh, it, it's, it's about how we don't expect and then we miss God. Okay, so how, how do people miss God? Well, they weren't expecting Jesus to come to a right now time. You know, right, they weren't expecting him right now. They were expecting him some other time. You know, it's like, yes, I can believe some other time, but right now that he was coming to a right now time or a right here place. They didn't expect Jesus to come right here right now, you know. It's like, sometimes it's easy to believe God is, is doing great miracles in third world countries and things like that, but right here. They didn't expect Jesus right now or right here or to come in a specific way, uh, the way that he came. And so if you think about it, they really weren't expecting Jesus at all. They weren't expecting him. They were expecting something they had dreamed up in their, their mind. And, and if we're not careful, we can do the same thing, that we can have dreams, we can have hopes, we can have prayers, we can ask God to do things. But if we're not careful... We will have such a small box of the way God can operate in the way we expect him, in the areas we expect him, in the how and the, and the winds and all of that, that we, we can totally miss what God is wanting to do. We can totally miss that moment or that time. I, I don't, I don't want to miss him, and I don't want you to miss him either. That's what this sermon series has been all about. So today, we're going to talk about unexpected, unexpected people. I don't want you to be one of those uh, unexpected people. So let's check ourselves. Okay, so here's the first one. Unexpected people, like Herod, King Herod. Now, uh, the political system in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Galilee, w- was really all just all fouled up because there was the Roman occupation, all that going on. So, so you're going to hear me t- talk about two leaders, kind of political leaders, because that's the way Rome had it set up. Well, this first one here is, is King Herod. And uh, Herod was was a Jew. You know, e- even though the Romans, they were occupying, they knew that they also needed to have some local guys there to kind of keep peace. And so King Herod was allowed to be, uh, be king. Okay, so he's the first one. And how expectant was he? Well, you know, really, if you think about it, if you read the story and everything, you see that he was totally unexpecting of anything. It's like he didn't even have any idea that Jesus was coming until he shows up. Okay, so here's the story in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 2. Now, Luke chapter 2 is a story we're most familiar with, the night of Jesus' actual birth. This happened sometime later, maybe a day later, maybe a week later. Some people say it could have been a year later or even, but uh, I-, I think it was pretty soon because Jesus and Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem, okay? They had to go to Bethlehem, and they were still there when they showed up. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a long time after his birth, I don't believe, okay? So anyway, we pick up the story, Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Okay, first response of King Herod. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He was deeply disturbed. You know, he, he did not in any way expect this to happen. And I'm blown away by that because... All Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were looking for it. They knew, about, they knew about the prophecies. They knew about the promises. They were looking for the Messiah. He was a Jew, and yet he still missed it? How, how, how does he miss it? Um, and he was deeply disturbed at it. You know, um, 
if you ever see on the news, on TV or something, you ever see like leaders from other countries come here to the United States or, or you know, go to other countries, you know, like our leaders go to other countries. You see all this pomp and circumstance stuff, right? I mean, they're getting off the plane, you know, and there at the bottom they've got military. They've maybe got a band playing, you know, and they give them the, you know, the double kiss, you know, on the two cheeks kind of a thing. And all this pomp and circumstance, that's what you kind of expect. Not here. I mean, he wasn't expecting Jesus at all, but when Jesus showed up, he, he wasn't like, oh, we got to welcome him. He was deeply disturbed. So that tells me something about his expectation. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So what did he do? He starts circling the wagons. You know, now that he knows Jesus is coming, that Jesus has come, there's a, there's a new king that has come. He starts circling the wagons. Guys, guys you got to tell me what's going on here. Where is he going to be born? And so they look it up and they say, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then, so uh, he calls a pr for a private meeting with the wise men, and he asks them uh, when the star appeared. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And so now he has a secret meeting with the wise Why did he have a secret meeting with the wise men? Why did he call them in a secret? Because he couldn't let this get out. He was getting paranoid now. He was worried that something was, that this, this king was going to take his throne away, and so he had to call for a secret meeting. So now you see his expectation? You see how this thing was, was beginning to fall apart completely on him? So then he told the wise men, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. He's cunning here because he's lying. He is not going to worship Jesus. That's not why he asked. If you know the story, you're already ahead of me. But think about it. He's a liar. You know, it's not just ever the, the thing we're about to find out about him in these next verses. He is a liar. Okay, and so they go and they find Jesus. And uh, after they worship Jesus, present their gifts, it says when it was time for the, the, the wise men to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod because God knew what Herod wanted to do. So he spoke to them in a dream and said, go, go back a different way. Go, don't go talk to Herod anymore and then Herod was furious when he realized okay so there's another part he's furious all right so all of this is happening you know in Herod Herod was furious when he realized that the wise man had outwitted him so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Jerusalem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance and so now his anger is like total rage. I think that's actually maybe one of the Greek words that is there. So just a furious rage that he's going into. So much so that he kills all the males in and around Jerusalem under the age of two. See how this all begins and then just all falls apart. Because Herod, and he should have been, he should have been expecting Christ. But because he wasn't expecting him, when he showed up, what happened? I mean, everything fell apart. It went from bad to worse. I mean, it was one thing after the other. And the same thing happens to us when we don't expect Christ. We don't expect God to show up in our lives, and then he does. And listen, I'm talking to people who are following Christ. I know most of you are your Christians. You're following after Christ. You're chasing him. You want to know the truth. You want wisdom. You want his direction. You want his help. I know, I, I know who I'm talking to, but I'm saying sometimes he shows up, and we weren't expecting him. And for, and, and for those moments, a lot of times, it goes from bad to worse because then it's hard to catch up with what he's doing, and we miss the moment. We need to be ready so when he shows up, we can get every single thing. We can drain every bit of it out. But a lot of times, we're busy doing other things. We're tied up in other stuff. We're in our own stuff. We've got our focus on some other place, some other time. Or some, and yeah, we're expecting him, but... 
not really expecting him right now, right here, right this way, and so we really aren't expecting him. That's, that's what happened. That's what happened to Herod. People who have no hope tend to destroy other people's hope. Y'all got any people in your life like that? You get all kind of, you know, you get all excited about something. You've got all kinds of joy, and you got somebody that you're just around for about two minutes, and they sap every bit of joy out of everything. Y'all quit looking at your spouses right now, okay? I, and I know you're not saying your spouse. You're saying, I know who he's talking about, right? You're not really talking about your spouse. You're just saying, you know who he's talking about, don't you? We got, you know, joy killers, right? Hope murderers. I mean, you know, that they've just, people that are like that, you know, you know, the phone rings, you look down, you see the caller ID, and what? Oh, right? You got those people. Don't Go ahead and admit it, you know. you know. And if that happens to me from now on, I will know. If it keeps going to your voicemail, I'll know from now on when I call, right? And it's just don't, because they're, oh, they're going to destroy my hope. They're going to kill my hope, murder my hope. He was a hope murderer. Herod was. He, he, because he didn't have any hope, he didn't want anybody else to have hope. And so he was murdering the hope. Imagine if he had been successful. Now, we, we know that God the Father was not going to let him be successful in killing his son. But imagine if he had been successful in killing Jesus before he'd even had a chance to grow up, begin walking around and, and teaching and telling us about real love and, and what God really wanted to do in our lives that before he had a chance to, to, to show us his power and the miracles and the healings and all the stuff that he did, before he had a chance to, to die on the cross and get up on the third day, imagine if Herod had been able to kill him, if he had been successful, what if? Well, you and I, we wouldn't be saying Merry Christmas today. There would have been no Christmas. I mean, that, that birth and death would have gone by so fleeting and so fast, you and I wouldn't even know about it. We, we wouldn't even be here today. There wouldn't be a Christianity. There wouldn't be a Christian way of life if he had been successful. I mean, that's what hope murderers do. Man, get away from them, right? We don't need to be hanging around hope murderers. Imagine if he had been successful or imagine if he had had a different attitude. What if he had had the heart of David? What if like when, when, when God said David was a man after my own heart, what if Herod had been a man after God's own heart? What if he, imagine all the good that he could have done. Imagine what he could have changed about, about everything, about Christ's life in those just few 32, 33 years that he had. Imagine what would have been different in all of Palestine if, if Herod had been a man after God's own heart. You know, I, I think in the Old Testament, the best parallel I can think of in the Old Testament of, of Jesus showing up and, and a king, you know, having to figure out his response to this is it's when David, King David, when he was alive and the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, some of you know Indiana Jones, right? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Okay, that's a fictitious story, but they're talking about the same thing, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant, which was the place of God's presence to dwell with man before Jesus actually showed up. So, so when, when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Jerusalem, it's like the presence of God was coming home. You know, and, and, and so Herod, Herod was like oh, scared of it, paranoid, having secret meetings, circling the wagons and all that. But David, not David, you know, he was excited about it. And as a matter of fact, David wasn't just excited to hear about it. David was the one who started it. 
Okay, if you'll go to this Sunday's page, uh, or the Connect page, I'm sorry, uh, church2911.com slash connect. Go to the sermon notes. I've got the reference there. You can read the story here of what I'm about to tell you about David. But here's what, here's what David did. Is he said, hey, look, the ark of God, the presence of God is sitting over there in Obed-Edom's house. And look how he's blessed. we got to get that out of his house and get it back to Jerusalem so all of us can be blessed, not just one. And so then when they started bringing it back, when they got back to Jerusalem, you know what David did? David's not hiding or having having secret meetings with those things. David gets right down in the street, right in front of the parade. He's dancing and singing, and, and, and the way the wording is there, it's like he's, he's dancing with all of his might. He's, he's not doing just a little bit like I can do. I mean, he's out there with everything he can do, dancing with all of his might, excited. And then when he gets back, when they get it back to Jerusalem, he wants to make sure that everybody can celebrate. And so he gives, he gives gifts of bread and dates and raisins. Now, it doesn't sound like much to you, but if you don't have anything, bread is a good thing. Thing. But the dates and the raisins, what he was doing is he was giving away the candy of the day. That's, of their days and their life, that's what he was doing. He was giving them candy. So those people that didn't have money, didn't have uh, ability to, to, to buy stuff to celebrate, he put it in their hands. Uh, maybe a, a modern day correlation would be like he's he's riding on the float throwing out the moon pies down in Mobile you know I mean, that's what he's doing he's wanting everybody to celebrate everybody to have a good time this is this is who David was and because of that we call him a man after God's own heart he's remembered imagine if if Harry could do that but David David was a man of hope and let me tell you this I told you something about people without hope people with hope are hopelessly contagious just like hope killers, they'll destroy your hope. But people who have hope, they'll give you hope. And you need those kind of people in your life. We need those kind of people. We've, got, you know, we've already marked those that we know that are kill our hope, kill our joy, all those. We know those joy killers. But we also need to mark those. And some of you may be saying, but I don't know people like that. Can I give you some good news? You are surrounded by them today. You are surrounded by people. Do you know why these people are here in this, in this building, this room right now? They are here because they have hope in Jesus. They have, a, they have this expectation. You know, that's our word, right? They have this expectation. They have this hope in Jesus. They're all around you. Let some of it rub off on you today. Next time they say Merry Christmas, understand what they're saying. They're not just saying, hey, I hope you're happy. They're saying Merry Christmas. This is the time that we remember the greatest gift given ever to all mankind. They're stirring up hope. So by all means, they stir me up a little bit more. Find those people around you because they're sitting all around you right now. You know, so, so yeah, go ahead and let the others go to voicemail, but find these people sitting around you that are hope because they are hopelessly contagious. All right, but let, me, let me tell you about somebody else, all right? Another unexpected, unexpected person in the Bible was a rich leader. Now, <laughs> the Greek words there, and, and right here it says that it's a religious leader, but, but some people say, oh, that's not what that word actually meant in the Greek back in those days. So I, I don't know. Here's what we do know. He was a leader of some kind, whether it was at the synagogue temple or just in the community. We know he was a leader, and we know he had a lot of money. That's why I've just called him a rich leader, okay? We know that's what we absolutely know. Nobody would disagree with me on that. So instead of having the, having the theological argument in the middle of my sermon, let's just go with this. Rich leader, all right? And this rich leader comes to Jesus, and he has a question about eternal life. In uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning of verse 18, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus and he, they have this little bit of a conversation. We're skipping over that and jumping down to the end right here. But full context is on, on the Connect page, again, if you want to go there and read that later. And then, so he gives this last answer to Jesus. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. 
Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Okay, now here's, a, here's another place where we get into some theological discussion and debate about why would Jesus tell him? Because, you know, was Jesus saying that, you know, you have to sell all, you, you can't have eternal life unless you sell everything and give it away? Or was Jesus testing? And maybe he was asking to see if he would, and if he said, he said, okay, I'll do that, then he would say, well, you don't have to. You know, was it that? And, and you know, I've kind of always kind of thought it was like that. But then I realized sometime in, sometime in uh, all these years of ministry, I, I've come to know a lot of different people, and I've heard, I've heard testimonies. I've heard testimonies from different people who said they've sold, that God moved on, moved on their heart to sell everything they had and give it away or either sell most of the stuff and give keys away to their cars, even their houses, that God has moved on them to do that, and they did that, and then God blessed them with more than they had before they started giving everything away. So, listen, I don't really know what Jesus was exactly up to here about what he would have done if the man had answered differently. But here, let me tell you this. Jesus didn't say this because the man had stuff. Jesus said this because the stuff had the man. You know, he, he didn't say this because he had stuff. Because I've got stuff. Y'all got stuff? Y'all got stuff? Everybody got stuff, right? And I'm a lot richer than this guy. Now, I'm not talking about him money. But I'm richer in a whole lot of more things. And, and you know, and Jesus could say, you got to give up your friends. You got to give up your lifestyle. You got to give up here. You got to move somewhere else. He's, he's told that to a lot of missionaries, you know. So I, I, I know he, he hasn't told us. So he, he doesn't tell us we got to give. It's not about the stuff. It's about us. And that's what he challenges us with. But here's the craziness of it. This guy comes to Jesus, and he seems so concerned about eternal life. The big thing, Right? He wanted to change his eternal destiny. He wanted to change his eternity. But he wouldn't change his right now. Because when Jesus said, do this right now. You want eternal life? Do this right now. And he couldn't change the right now. Now, wait a minute. And I, I, I've kind of thought about this. If Jesus said, the one thing you need to do to get eternal life is sell everything you got and give it away to the, give it away to the poor. I think that would be a pretty good trade. <laughs> to get rid of everything I've got and I know eternal life's done for me. You know, I don't have to do anything else. That's a pretty good trade. You know, I, I, I can't imagine. If you really are wrapped up in this, but this guy, he, he wasn't really wrapped up in it, was it? Because, listen, here, here's the thing. It's a lot easier to commit to tomorrow than it is to the right now. Oh, it's a lot easier. You don't believe me? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this way. Which is easier? Is it easier to commit to losing 10 pounds before the end of the year or saying no to that dessert sitting on your plate right now? It's easier to commit to tomorrow than it is to the right now. You know, which is easier? To say, I want to change the world. Or pull out your billfold and do something about changing the world right now. Or taking your calendar and scratching awesome days for right now. Which is easier, to commit to changing the world one day or the right now? You know, there are a lot of people, they, they say, I mean, I hear them all the time. I want my spouse to get close to God. I want my kids to know Jesus more than they've ever known Jesus. I, I want my family to grow closer and closer to him all the time. I, I want us to all be closer together. And that's easy to say that. And then Sunday rolls around. Right now it's Sunday. And sometimes the right now is the hardest part. 
It's like it's easy to say, I, I want my spouse to know Jesus. Oh, but it's Sunday. You know, we had a tough day. I think it'd be okay if we slept. You know, it's easy to commit to tomorrow than to commit to this right now. This right now is important. This right now moment is important. I want to come back to that, okay? Let me take you to one, one, one last little person right here, and that's Pilate. Um, this is at the end of Jesus' life. He was an unexpected person. The end of Jesus' life, the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, the religious leaders, they went, they took their temple guards, and they went, and they arrested Jesus, and they brought him to Pilate. Now, Pilate is that other part of this weird uh, conglomeration of, of political leaders in Palestine during this time. He's actually the Roman leader. He's the governor. He's, he's you know, answers to, uh, to Caesar. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not part of the, the religious stuff and all of that. He's the Roman uh, governor, okay? And so they bring Jesus to him, and he was unexpected. He did not expect what was about to happen that night. Okay, so they bring, in, they bring uh, Jesus to Pilate in the middle of the night, and uh, Pilate goes back into his headquarters, and he calls for Jesus to be brought to him, and he asks, are you the king of the Jews? Now, they talk a little bit, and then Pilate says, so you are a king. And they talk a little bit more. And listen, all of this, again, is on the Connect page in the sermon notes. But we just don't have time to read all of it. And so then he asks him, you know, a third question, what is truth? Oh, wow, listen to this. Think about this. He is, he's a governor, okay? He's, he's had a man arrested and brought to him. And, and the purpose of this, of this interrogation is supposed to be to find out, you know, the right, the wrong, the good, the bad, the, the, the moral, the immoral, and all that. He should be finding, what's the charge? And all of that. Instead... Look at the questions that he's asking. They're, these are questions out of a man's heart. These are questions coming from somebody who, who really wants to know something. I mean, look where he's going. So are, what is truth? Are you a king? What is truth? It's like he, he almost gets it. I mean, something's happening in Pilate's heart, but then he just can't quite follow through. Because then, G, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then Pilate goes outside again and says to the people, I am going to bring Jesus out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever before. He, he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and he asked him, where are you from? But Jesus didn't give any answer this time. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you. And Pilate tried to release Jesus. He tried. He wanted to. That, that, that was beginning to grow in him again. He got scared. He started asking Jesus. And Jesus was just letting it all just kind of mull over in his mind. And he realized there's something different. He wanted to release him, but then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. You know, here, here's, let me tell you what was going on here. Because he, he, he's missing it, okay? And I think we miss it also. Here's, here's what was going on. They, these religious leaders brought Jesus to him, and, and everybody thought, everybody but Jesus, everybody thought that Pilate held Jesus' fate in his hands. And that's, that's, what, that's what everybody thought, including Pilate. And while they were outside demanding, they wouldn't even come inside, another part, of, another, part another thing to discuss at another time. They wouldn't even come inside. But while they were outside demanding Jesus be crucified, and they thought Pilate held his fate in his hands. Pilate didn't just hold Jesus' fate in his hands. Pilate held his own fate in his own hands. That's what was going on here. That's, that's, that's what was happening here. 
it was, it was about so much more than this. This was not just an arrest. The Son of God, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world was in Pilate's house. And he missed it. Think about that. They, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world was right in front of him, and he missed it. He sends him out to allow them to crucify him, and, and then, you know, I, I wonder. He sends him out, and, and then he, he goes back to his bedroom, and, and he starts to lay down on his bed. You know, and that sciatic nerve is bothering him again, you know, and I wonder if he thought, maybe I should ask Jesus if he could have done something about this, right? You know, think about I wonder if Pilate had that thought later. Maybe, maybe he didn't have sciatic nerve problems or back problems or whatever. Maybe it was like, you know, later that, later that week, maybe they had a family gathering. That old brother-in-law is always causing trouble, you know, just messes up. Every time the family gets together, that one brother-in-law's got to start something. I wonder, you know, they call Jesus the Prince of Peace. I wonder if he could have done something about this to bring some peace into my home. I wonder if he thought that. Or maybe in his marriage. I wonder the next time he and his wife fought, if, if he went back in his mind and thought, I wonder if Jesus could have made my marriage better. Or, or, or maybe, maybe that misunderstanding he had with his boss. Now, now listen, he, his boss was Caesar. You guys may think you have a bad boss. Your boss may be able to dock you of some pay, but his boss could dock him of his head off of his shoulders. You know, and I wonder the next time this all came up, some problem he had with Caesar, if he didn't think, I wonder if Jesus could have fixed this for me. But you know what? It's too late now. I've let him be crucified. He's gone. He's done. He, how, 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 do, how does he miss this? Let me tell you how. He did not expect to be in the presence of the Son of God that day. He didn't expect that. He was ready for everything else. He was schooled in all the rules and the laws of, the, of Rome. He knew everything. He, he had done this many times before. Two people come before him, and, and he's got to figure out who's right and who's wrong, and he's got to try to mete out justice that, that also doesn't cause riots in the street and all that kind of stuff. He, he's prepared for everything except the Son of God being in his presence. He was not ready for the Son of God to be in his presence. Are you? Are you? Because, you know, it, you aren't just surrounded by people with hope. You are surrounded by the presence of God that is hope as well. The, the expectation is like, oh, we miss it. How many of you really, I mean, did, did you come in this morning and think, okay, I'm going to go have some coffee or uh, punch and cookies today, right? And I'm going to have some coffee and punch and talk to some people. Gonna, you know, sit down and uh, they're going to sing some songs. I might sing half of one of them or whatever, you know, and, and I'm going to hear a sermon. I'm going to come down front, sing a little bit more and pray. And, and then we'll get to drink some more coffee or punch or whatever and get on our way. And Were you really expecting Christ to be here? Man, what happens when we, we miss it? We miss the opportunity. You know, uh, growing up, I heard all this about visitation, you know, the visitation of his presence and his spirit. Man, Pilate had a one-on-one -on -one visitation with the Son of God, and he missed it. If he had asked him to heal his back or whatever he had, if Jesus had done it, not only would he have gotten his healing or his need met, he would have known if he really was the Son of God. If he had just asked, just one little thing. So let me ask you, what is it? I mean, you're in the presence of God today. Don't walk out of here and say, oh, I wish I would asked Jesus. 
to touch my back. Or I wish I'd asked Jesus to make my marriage strong. I wish I'd asked you. He's here, right here, right now. And you might not have been expecting his presence, but his word says where two or three come together in his name, he is in their presence. He's here. So what is it that you need from him? Don't leave this room without telling him. Don't leave this room. I'm going to come back to that in just a couple minutes. Let me say this, and I'm going to close, okay? Let's talk about just some other people. Because the unexpected people, they're all around us. Unexpected people, like those who are all around us every day, the people we work with, people we go to school with, they're right next door to us in our neighborhoods, they're in the cubicle next to us, at the cash register next to us, all around us, where we shop, where we, all, unexpected people, they don't expect help. You see, you see when, when they hear that we're Christians or that we go to church, they expect us to point out their sin. That's what they've heard we do. You know, they expect us to judge them. They don't expect us to bring help. They don't expect us to bring love. They don't expect us to bring deliverance. They expect us to tell them how bad they are, but they don't expect us to bring some means of deliverance, of freedom. They don't expect us to bring forgiveness. They, don't, they expect us to not accept them, to condemn them. They expect condemnation from us, not acceptance from us. They are totally unexpected. They don't know what to expect from me and you. So what do we do with that? Y'all seen the movie, right? Field of Dreams. You've seen that movie? Or you know the premise of what it's about? You know, we, that was one of our sermons, right? So you Field of Dreams. And, and uh, you know, it's about this guy that builds a baseball park in the middle of his cornfield, out in the middle of nowhere, you know. And, and the whole theme has become, it's not exactly the way it's worded in, in the movie, but the theme has become, build it and they will come. Sounds like a great motto. Let's build it. People will just show up. I know a lot of churches that do that. I know a lot of churches that have done that. A lot of people think that's still what you do. Build something big and people will come. They'll show up. Build a big building and people will come to see the new building. But you know what? You know who shows up to see a new building? People who just left an old building. You know, and if you want to reach those who hadn't been to a building, you see, unexpected people aren't looking for a building. It's not about the building. It's about the people in the building. It's about the people of the building. Think about it this way. In that movie, at the end of the movie, um, if you, for those of you who remember, at the end of the movie, there's, it, it shows, you know, it's getting dark, and it shows a long line of headlights of cars just coming from miles and miles, coming to that field. Build it and they will come. It happened. They built it. People started showing up. But you know who wasn't in the line? You know who wasn't? And you know who doesn't come? Who is not going to drive to a ballpark built in a, in a cornfield out in the middle of nowhere? You know who's not coming to that? Well, first of all, my wife is not going to that. You know who's not going to that? People who aren't baseball fans. Right? Think about it. I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't baseball fans. Everybody's not coming to a baseball park in a cornfield out in the middle of nowhere. I'm a baseball fan for about 20 games. I don't know what to do with those other 140 games that they play the rest of the year, you know? Everybody's not a baseball fan. Now, listen, if, they, if, if Shoeless Joe Jackson, some of you don't even know. I mean, if, yeah, Shoeless Joe Jackson came back to play ball, I'd be there, okay? But most people, uh, Shoeless Joe, why does he not have any shoes on? You know, and, uh, you know people don't even know. Who's coming? Not people who, people who don't like, they're not going to be there. People who come to a new church, 
people who come, who's, who's coming? You know, see, see, we can't, I know this is what we want to do, right? I got an idea. This year, let's go to Graysville on a Saturday night at 5 p.m. and let's have church and people will just come because we're, we're there, right? No, that's not the way it works. Or let's go to the Burkett Center. You know, people just show up to the Burkett Center because that's the old Mortimer Jordan, right? And, uh, you know, all these people that win all these years, they'll all be there. If they're all there, we ain't got room for them, right? But they're not going to show up just because we said we're going to do that. They're, they're not even going to show up next Sunday night because we've moved our service, you know, even, even this one. We're not even having this one next week because we've moved our services Saturday night and Sunday night. They're not going to show up just for that either because they expect us to do church for us. They don't yet know that we're doing a Christmas service for them until you tell them we're doing a Christmas service for them, until you invite them. They're not coming because the pastor sends them a postcard. They're coming because you took time to invite them on the phone or postcard or whatever you want. That's the only thing because they don't expect that we want them there until they hear you say, would you go with me? Because, see, I don't, I don't want you to write down here and commit to coming to a Christmas service. I want you to commit to bringing to a Christmas service. Because we're wasting our time if we don't invite people. There, were, there was no reason to go to the extra trouble of doing services on Saturday night and Sunday night, different places, different times, unless we're going to make the invitation to get the people there, to bring them with us. That's the reason for it. We're not doing a service in Graysville on Saturday night just so Randy Teeter doesn't have as far to drive. That's not why we're doing this. It's not about us. It's about them. But the only way to make it about them is to make the invitation. So I challenge you today. You have some unexpected people in your life. Let's invite them to what God has called us to do for this Christmas. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.